Welcome to Now I See, a place where people share their eye-opening moments and how it changed the way they see themselves, their world, and their place in it. We hope you'll be encouraged and inspired by the stories you hear and challenged to see things in a whole new way, too. Sit back and enjoy this show that we've prepared especially with you in mind. I'm your host, Kit McCarty. Our guest today is Russell Stendhal Jr. Welcome, Russell. Thank you. (laughs) I'm glad to have you here with me today. Russell Stendhal Jr. was born and raised in Columbia, where his family has lived and worked for four generations. He's a business manager in the family mission that plants churches and produces pamphlets, books, radio program, and motion pictures to advance the gospel project, Christ for Columbia, in conjunction with Spirit of Martyrdom International. You may remember our previous episode with SOM founder and director David Witt. Russell is a world traveler, having visited places in Africa, India, Europe, and the Americas. He is a pilot, a flight instructor, a big screen actor, and a newlywed. He loves playing soccer and spending time sharing stories with family and friends. I am honored to be able to share his story with you today. I see you as a cautious adventurer. You are not afraid to try new things, um, and you laugh easily. You're a lot of fun to be around. How do you see yourself? Um, yeah, I see myself as, I see myself as quiet, I I think, but I do like adventure and I do, um, really, I really do look at the risks and, um, try to manage them as best as I can, I guess. But yeah. Tell us about some of the adventures you've been on. So you're a pilot. That's Mm -hmm. adventuresome. How did you learn to do that? So I learned, uh, I got my pilot's license in, um, Canada in Whitehorse, and right out of uh, high school, my dad sent me, just me, up to Alaska to learn how to fly, to Canada, to learn how to fly in Whitehorse, Canada. And yeah, that was my first uh, big, big adventure, just alone. And uh, yeah, I learned how to fly up in the mountains and in the wilderness, and it was amazing. Which is very useful um, mm-hmm. for your life in Columbia. So mm-hmm. that's kind of push bush pilot activity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you like about flying? Uh, I love, I used to not like flying. So. Wow, that's surprising. Yeah. I did, well, because I, ne- I didn't want to be a pilot. My dad really wanted me to be a pilot, but I didn't want to be a pilot. Um, but I wanted, I, I wanted to, to do this thing right before high school. I wanted, uh, right before I graduated, where I wanted to go to Chicago to have one time away from Columbia and just be in high school alone for a semester. Like a normal kid. Like a normal kid. There and you I go. wanted to do that and my dad said, okay, you can do that if you get your pilot's license. So I was like, okay, fine. So we kind of did that trade-off. So as soon as I, uh, I went to Chicago, did a semester there, and then when I graduated, I went up and fulfilled my promise to my dad to get my pilot's license. And... Uh, first three um lessons i was like nope i don't like this this is not what i like but then uh, dad was just like no stick it out for a few more days and see if you like it and the more days i flew the more i liked it and i just love the feeling of being up in the air and um just feeling kind of free and and able to to see things from a different perspective i just like that a lot 
you've been able um, to see things from a lot of different perspectives. We've talked a little bit already about some of the places that you've traveled. You grew up in Colombia. You've been to Alaska, Canada. Before the mics went on, you were telling me that you'd been to Europe and Africa as well. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about some of your traveling adventures. Oh, yeah. Traveling is... I love traveling. I love um, looking at new cultures and uh, trying what every culture has to offer and their food and um, how they tell stories and how they uh, how they just are different from from anything I've seen even being in Colombia but uh, I really liked a- Africa going over there and and um, experiencing uh, the difference in how um, Christianity is played out there. Mm-hmm is 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 very different from let's say like india i went to india as well and um the indian church taught me a lot of how they view themselves as the church not just like a church building but a a body a a group of people where they ask you know not where you know they don't say at what time is church they say when is the church gonna gather Mm, you know it's it's not like uh, it's a it's a more what the Lord, I think, intended the church to be instead of just a place. And so you see that in every place, and you see how even though there's different cultures, everybody's connected by who God is, because if it's the same God, then we all share that in common. So it's kind of cool to travel to all these places, see different children of God in and, and, and every aspect, but we're all connected somehow, and we all have this one thing in common that is... Yeah, that is good. I love that. So you are a child of blended culture. Mm-hmm. Tell us about how that was for you. That was really good. It was, uh, I, that's how I learned both languages. I spoke to my mom in Spanish and my dad in English. And I just thought, growing up, I thought uh, that you were supposed to, it was just like a different, um, like it was like proper to speak to my dad a certain way and proper to speak to my mom a certain way and so like with my mom it was just very like rigid like in Spanish and that's just how I thought it was and then with my dad it was more relaxed more like this is my buddy you know (laughs) and so um just that was like the difference between just two cultures too like with um it was just very very confusing in the beginning because there was just two different cultures but then when once i like got to travel and, and grew up i knew how different um it is and even like now when i speak in english um i find myself being more relaxed and um and more uh, i can joke more and um I, I i can express myself better in english Whereas in Spanish, I have a harder time, but it's more about family. So, like, if I if I am with um, my sisters or my brother, I can I relate to them a lot in Spanish, and we make plans in Spanish, and we do. Um, uh, obviously, we uh, correct each other in Spanish <laughs> and, and things like that. But it's um, yeah, it's just it's a different. It, it definitely is two cultures that are different. Yeah. 
Well, I think that certainly made you um, very accepting mm-hmm. of the different cultures you've been exposed to. You just have a wonderful way of just becoming a part of whatever culture that you that you're in, and that's just it's it makes it so easy to be with you. And I really enjoy that about you. Um, well, we've been talking about your love of family. Obviously, family values are really strong for you. Mm-hmm. Why is that? I mean, your dad traveled a lot. He wasn't there a lot, but you guys made it work. Mm-hmm. Tell me how that worked. Um, the Lord sent a lot of good people to kind of fill that. Um, he knew th- that my dad was called to do all this amazing mission work, and, and we all supported that, and we knew, we saw the need uh, for that. Obviously, you have some times where you, you miss your dad. And you, of course. You would want him to be there with you. But, um, uh, but the Lord provided a few people, like my mom. She was, she was very family-oriented, and my brother-in-law— um, Sammy, uh, he was he. The Lord provided him early on because my sister got married when she was like twenty or twenty-one or something. So, and they lived in our house for a while because they didn't have a, a lot of money to to rent their own place. So Sammy just kind of became also like kind of like a fatherly figure there, and um, and so, and he is very family oriented. Like, my mom is very family-oriented, but Sammy is even more family-oriented. So he would, um, you know, make us uh, go play sports on the weekends with his family and with friends and um, just their night owls. So he would uh, take us to his parents' house, and we would just uh, talk all night into, you know, the early morning and it was just it was very much about family and so we kind of like I really like that aspect of it so we adopted that into our family and I and I really like that so um once because all all of our uh, siblings are very spaced out um I'm 30 right now and then um Lisa my oldest sister is 10 years older than me um, my other sister is five years older than me, and Dylan is seven years younger than me. Yeah, you guys are spaced out. So we really didn't have that com- that mm-hmm. family thing going mm-hmm. on for us because we were very different. You had and, a couple of moms. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> it wasn't until recently where we've been kind of just all adults that mm-hmm. we can like re- really hang out together and just have fun and laugh and do everything together and work together and we're going to get to that mm-hmm. in just a minute uh, but before we do tell me what it's like to grow up under the shadow of the famous russell style <laughs> you know he is so well known certainly in colombia but also in cuba the united states africa i mean he's mm-hmm. he's just a he's produced so much audio content right just Play all of his radio stations and how many books 40 yeah got a, it, you know, it keeps growing it keeps yeah. growing yeah yeah and um you know he's lived uh, some big adventures and he was uh nominated for a nobel peace prize and so i mean he's really well known yeah. so what's it like to you know live in his shadow to carry oh, his name man. um well it was I, I always had, a, like I said, I didn't want to be a pilot because I didn't want to be like my dad. I didn't want to be like Russell Stendhal because I knew it was like impossible shoes to fill. Of course. Um, and an impossible shadow to outgrow or whatever it mm-hmm. is that you do with mm-hmm. living under a shadow. But um, but then, you know, I realized that I don't have to be my dad. I didn't have to, I didn't have to do that because... Um, you know the lord called him to do something and and 
and I know that I'm called to do something maybe similar, but not the, not the same exact thing because we're all very special to the Lord. And he doesn't create, um, he doesn't create people to be the same. He creates people to be different, to be who he wants them to be. And when I understood that, it was very freeing and very, um, and I could do um, much more because I wasn't afraid of, uh, not fitting into his shoes or not um, not being able to do the same as him uh, because, yeah, because the Lord created me to be different. He created me to be me, and that's okay. I don't have to fill in his shoes because that, and I don't want to because, man, that is (laughs) crazy. I don't know how he does everything he does. and Nobody knows. Yeah, it takes all of us to just keep up with him. So, so, yeah, yeah. It would be an honor to be able to carry his name because he's such an honorable man. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think that if you live a life of honor and you find your purpose and you live out your plan, mm-hmm. that would nothing would make him happier. Mm-hmm. I know that he is so proud of you and so delighted in the man that you're becoming. And so, yeah. and I definitely didn't want to go the other way either. I didn't oh, of wanna, course not. I didn't want to just like, oh, I'm not going to be like him at all. You know, like a lot of people made that. So choice that's why though. I was I mean, like, we've seen it. Yeah. So I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be that way either. I knew there was. Um, there, there has to be like honor, honor him, honor your father and mother. It says in the Bible, and I have to honor him, but also honor my like my heavenly father as well. So, well said. It was, yeah, well said. Mm-hmm. Well, strong family values have led not only to some really fun family stories and uh, fun uh, memories for your family, but you guys work together too. Mm-hmm. Tell me about some of your family projects. So we've done a few family. Well, everything we do is is almost family project that's really unusual yeah everything we all work together almost every day in Colombia um either it's uh, helping my sisters produce radio programs or helping my dad put up radio stations somehow we all work together but the closest projects we've worked on just maybe the siblings together and maybe not my dad so involved has been um the movies so La Montaña is one. We filmed that 10 years ago. And then we just got done filming another one um, in May called The Parish of the Pines. And, um, and, and yeah, working with my family is amazing. I love it. I love it so much because it's hard, but it's also amazing. Yeah. I was going to say, family dynamics can be a real challenge because yeah. everybody's their own person and mm-hmm. so much is at stake. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing if you have a disagreement with somebody that you only occasionally see or occasionally work with, mm-hmm. but you have to go home with these yeah. people, you yeah. know, you have to work these things out. And so um, what are some of the things that you've learned in working with your family? I mean, you've obviously had to make a lot of adjustments and maybe give up some of your preferences in order to make things run smoothly so whoever's in charge of the project um they are also uh, responsible not just for the project but before the lord because the lord gave them that project so you have to um kind of step down out of your like a little bit of your ego and your attitudes maybe and be like okay she she uh, my sisters right now are my bosses like for this project you know, and, and, and that's okay. And so if they they can ball me out or whatever, but it's because it's because they're responsible for it, you know, and they need to be responsible for it, and I'm not responsible for it. So I just need a, okay, yeah, okay, that, that was that. And then we find ways to uh, forgive each other 
quickly. We we our our us siblings tend to get riled up real fast at each other, but we tend to forgive really quickly too and ask for forgiveness real quick too. So that helps a lot in, That's so in our family dynamics, yeah. Well, Russell's being very modest here. He's actually the star of the project that his family is working on right now. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, he's going to tell us all about it. Russell had a front row seat to the amazing adventures of his father and namesake, Russell Stendhal whose life has been recorded for us in part in his autobiographical books, Rescue the Captors, and its sequel, Rescue the Captors 2, the feature-length movie, La Montagna, and the book Victorious, written by previous Now I See guest, Deanne Alford. You can hear Deanne's podcast again, number 36, when you visit our website at nis.media or get a copy of her book through our author's page. The need is great for relief for Ukrainians through Bridge Builders International, for clothes, shoes, and school supplies for children at the Texas Baptist Home for Children, and homes construction materials for the annual Women's Build through WMU of Texas. For information about these organizations and more, find on our Featured Causes page. I hope you'll find a group that you can support or join. While you're on our site, sign up for our weekly newsletter and leave us a comment about our show. We love to hear from you about things you enjoy or ways we can improve. You can also reach out to us through our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts at NowICPod. As always, your good ratings and reviews boost our visibility among people just like you who are seeking out stories and shared conversations about exploration and discovery, inspiration, courage, and hope. When we return to our show, you're going to get a story within a story, as told by our guest, Russell Stendhal. So, let's get right back to it. We are back from our break with Russell Stendhal Jr. And we left off with talking about the, your latest project, a movie in which you star. So let's start there. Tell us about the movie and uh, what you hope to accomplish. The movie is called um, The Parish of the Pines. And it's the story of Frank Higgins uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, turn of the century. And... He it was a Canadian. He grew up in Canada, uh, a little bit north of Minnesota, and he always wanted to be a preacher. That was his dream since he was a little kid. He used to wake up, go out to the fields, and preach to the cows and to the stumps. And he just—that's all he wanted to do was be a preacher. And he could never go to seminary. Um, His parents didn't have a lot of money. His dad had died, so he grew up with his mom and his stepdad. But they were really good people, but they never had a lot of money, and they needed a lot of help on the farm. So he grew up just with them. He never went to school even. He never um, finished elementary school. I mean, he never went to elementary school till till he grew up. And, he, and, he, and to be a preacher, he wanted to be a preacher uh, for the um, Presbyterian Church. That's, that was his dream. 
and he kind of had to give up that dream to help on the farm. And when he was 21 years old, um, his mom surprised him and said, you know what, you need, I feel like the Lord has called you to be a preacher and you need to go do that. And he's like, but I'm 21. I've never even gone to school. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Be, you know, like, she's like, no, you're going to go finish school. And then you're going to go to seminary and you're going to become a preacher like like we know you're called to, to be. So he's this, you know, 20-year-old going to elementary school, sitting in this classroom full of kids. And uh, and he, he's, he goes to school and he finishes elementary. He finishes, um, he starts on his high school and he finishes high school. And then he... He's uh, shipped to Duluth, Minnesota, to the Presbyterian Church to try to start seminary. And um, so he goes over there and he asks the Presbyterian elders if he can be ordained as a minister. And they say, well, what schooling did you do? And he, and he says, well, I've never seen seminary. And they're like, well, what's your college? I've never gone to college. And uh, what are you doing right now? Well, I'm working on my high school. He's like, you haven't even finished high school. <laughs> so um, they don't ordain him. And he he's uh, he's asked to keep on his studies and, 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 and ask again. But during that whole time, he um, there's a church opening in the in some of the north woods of Minnesota and the Presbyterian church is like well while you while you still study you can go and and preach at this no uh at this little church um in northern Minnesota there's nobody there cuz the, the 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 other minister left and so he goes over there and um one of the elders of that church takes him to the lumber camps and he sees uh and and the the guy tells him, "Look, this is this is these are the lumberjacks, and all of the ministers that any any organization sends, these lumberjacks run them out of there. They don't pay attention to them. They pull down his pants and, <laughs> and send them out, you know, with his tail tucked between his legs. And um, and he says, but I think you might do better with these people, and and um, and because they need the Lord too. So he goes out." And he sees um, a need where he fits in just perfectly, and and with you know burly men and um, they're strong and and he's also strong and he doesn't take uh, you know crap from from anybody, and he just kind of meets all these strong men at their level, and he goes. Um, he goes the first time and he and um they you know they're trying to make fun of him all the lumberjacks are trying to make fun of him and they say well preacher you know if if you come to preach to us then then preach preach to us and he says oh i don't i didn't prepare anything i don't have any i didn't bring my notes i don't even have a bible and so one of the lumberjacks comes up and says well it's a sorry preacher that doesn't have at least one sermon in his art and He's floored by that. And he says, you know what? You're right. So he gets up on a stump and just starts preaching the, the prodigal son. And that was the, the kind of his sermon for all those men was the prodigal son. And the Lord used Frank Higgins to turn a whole 30,000 men to the Lord. He, he, he preached in um, 
in a bunch of camps in the winter he would um, go out with snowshoes and sled dogs and um, go to the most remote places of Minnesota to preach to these men in their lumber in their in the lumber camps and so yeah that's the story we're we're telling and we think it's a important story for people to remember because a lot of our history here in America we think um, like the Wild West or something we think oh it was you know the the gunmen the, that won the West and all that stuff but the the real people that won the West and won a lot of America was good people doing the Lord's work and and changing whole towns and good judges those circuit judges going all around putting down good laws and 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 um, and this story from up in northern Minnesota is one of those stories where it wasn't it's something that spread from there a great revival spread from northern Minnesota that touched a lot of the people and I don't know if you guys have heard the the term sky pilot but the lumberjacks called that's the first recorded person that they called the sky pilot because he piloted people to the skies was Frank Higgin the first original sky pilot so yeah that's That's almost a stendhal story though when I think about the similarities of the story that you're telling I mean you really almost have first-hand experience of that because pastors were run off in Columbia too Mm -hmm. and your family chose to stay um and there there was a rough audience Mm -hmm. um of people who had been abused by um religious organizations and religious practices even some idolatry um witchcraft Mm -hmm. um false religions and so it was a pretty hostile crowd uh, to which your family ministered. Um, it, it was a rough crowd in the fact that in Colombia you're dealing with uh, drug lords and um, co- people that work in the coke fields mm. and uh, guerrillas and other um, militants. Um, and that often the work is done in remote, hard-to-reach places. So mm. in a way, the story you're doing is your own story. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you feel a lot of... Um, familiarity as you were walking through the lines and and mm-hmm. um recreating the life of the hero of the story yeah we we love that story we grew up with that story and um we we just see so much of my dad in in frank higgins so and it's it's so funny because lisa my oldest sister she was like she she always said i don't like I'll just make this movie La Montaña about my dad, but I don't want to make any more movies about my dad. And then she makes it, and so and she starts is. making it, and it's like it's like my dad. It's like Frank, she's making a, a story of my dad, but just a different time period. But I think it's, it has to do because it's the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that lived in Frank Higgins or that lived in the Apostle Paul, or is available to us. is 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 the same Holy Spirit that it lives in my dad. It lives in me. It lives in whoever's listening. Um, it's the same Holy Spirit. It hasn't changed. So it, it's something that transcends generations and time or anything. It's, it's, it's the same God we worship. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So uh, this project was started kind of in COVID and lockdown. So you guys ran into a lot of challenges. Talk about some of those. We wanted to film it where it actually happened, which was in Minnesota, Northern Minnesota. So that's what we set out to do. But covid and uh, once everything started shutting down what we kind of saw it as an opportunity we're like oh well all these tourist attraction places will be closed and maybe we can film 
but the people running those places didn't see it that way. So, um, and when once they figured out that it was like a Christian value film, um, they didn't even pick up the phone anymore. So we tried to figure out a place to go, and Alaska, obviously. Obviously. Yeah, obviously was the <laughs> right you. choice. That yeah. Didn't occur to me, but obviously to you. <laughs> well, for us, it didn't occur to us, but the Lord had it all, I think, all planned out perfectly. And so we moved our production team up to Alaska, and the Lord opened up a bunch of doors up there, and that's where I met. I was going to say, and for you personally. Yeah, and the Lord knew that that's where I have to go to find my wife. And um, so it's good. It's a good. It's a good thing that that COVID happened that way. (laughs) You knew. You're like the only person who was glad COVID happened that way. (laughs) Yeah. So. Oh my gosh, what are some of the things that you learned uh, through that process about yourself? Um, I learned that that I don't know. I've seen that quote every everywhere, but it says like it's you're tougher than you think, you know, and and because I was going through a really hard time in my personal life then and it was hard to even like get out of bed sometimes but as i was reading that script and 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 i wanted to embody frank um one of the things i wrote down was like you don't quit ever and you don't complain ever because you're frank higgins right now and so frank higgins got me through that because i was like okay like every morning i would wake up and i'd be like i'm just so tired i don't i can't and and then i'd remember nope you don't complain and you don't quit. So I would just get up and and keep going, whatever whatever had to be done. And there was plenty of times I wanted to complain, but I was like, you know what? Frank Higgins wouldn't complain, so I'm not going to complain. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And, um, and just be, um, just be, you know, uh, not happy, but available and, and, and willing. That's the word I want to say. Willing to, to do anything with a with a good heart, not not a not a grumpy um, grumpy heart, but a okay, yeah, let's do this. We have to do this. We have to go hike in the snow for all day in you know zero degree weather or negative sixteen. What was one day we, oh we filmed like three hours in negative sixteen weather and diminishing light because <laughs> you're pretty far north. Yeah, and we and and all I could think of was. Frank Higgins and I was like you know what he did this for days on end I can do this for three or four or five hours I can do (laughs) it so um so yeah it 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 taught me a lot Frank Higgins and this whole project taught me a lot of of perseverance and um and just being available and willing to 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 do what the Lord wants you to do Mm-hmm. Good things happen mm-hmm. when we are willing and available. Mm-hmm. So thanks for doing that. This is going to be a fun project. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see its release. And I love that the legacy of Frank Higgins outlives him. Though dead, he still speaks. Mm-hmm. And so very excited about that. So the movie's going to come out when? Um, we are hoping, our very, very big hoping, uh, this uh, winter, okay. in December 2022. But more realistically, probably... Um, Spring or summer of 2023. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. And where will people be able to see that? Um, it'll be, we're going to try to make an app. Um, it'll be available in uh, probably our websites that we're going to create. 
and SOM Ministries will have first-hand knowledge of when that is and where that is. So if they want to see it, just keep in contact in a relationship with um, SOM Ministries. Okay. And, and we'll do that, too. Yeah. As soon as that becomes available, we'll make those links and yeah. people can follow that. Where can they find La Montaña? Um, in my sister's uh, YouTube page, Lisa Stendhal, um, La Montaña. Just type it in, Lisa Stendhal, La Montaña, and it'll appear there on YouTube. Yeah. Okay, and if people want to find out more about your family, they can go where? SOM Ministries. Okay, or RussellStendhal.com and have access to all of his many books and Mm -hmm. and great content that he's provided as we close out the show today. Is there anything you'd like people to see more clearly as a result of our conversation? (laughs) Um, I would say just... Remember that the Lord is in the small details, too, and that makes him a big a big God. Um, every day we have, a lot of us have uh, food to eat and a place to sleep in, and, and a lot of people around the world don't have that. And those are little miracles that he has provided for us. And um, the Lord moves in those small details, and when you can see that, and when you can be grateful for all those little things, um, he's present. He's present there with you. So small details brought you and your wife to me this week Mm -hmm. and it has turned out to be a great big thing so i am grateful Mm -hmm. um, for god and his kindness in a million small little ways and of course for the big ones but those small things can be real special Mm -hmm. well thank you so much for your time today it has been a joy to have you uh, here in the conversation with me today Mm -hmm. and listeners we'll see you again next week we're so glad you were able to join us for today's compelling story You can find out more about our guest today by reading our show notes or visiting our website, nis.media. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Special thanks to the team at Headset Radio for their technical expertise and to Becky Salazar for our bumper music. See you next week.